Let's go, focus, breathe. Now pull the thing up. Go, 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 go. Up, you've got it, Rorty. You've got it. Stand, stand up! Very good, mate. Well, hello and welcome. This is the Clean Health Podcast Under the Bar with Tom Hewitt <clears> and Rawdon Dubois. Yes. Rawdon, hello. Hi, Tom. How are you? It's been quite a, an eventful uh, show before it's even started. We had yes. to sort of navigate our way through a, uh, a, a street blockade that the Prime Minister was yes. making his way through the, the CBD today, which was good. And we've just arrived at the Eagle Waves radio studios at Cafe Vivo. Where we are broadcast, and there's an old—I'm not sure which one it is yet, mate—but there's an old Van Damme movie playing on the uh, on, too. on the TV up there, and I'm not well, sure what's happening, but he's definitely going to have his way with a lead female it, because yeah. he's just saved her from a group of bad men. Yes. Easy kill, easy, <laughs> easy kill, and he'll probably do the splits before he does anything as well. So <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I can actually see that, Tom. So you, you can uh, run the show, and I'll just just watch that. That sounds you. good. Coming up on the show this week, we're... Um, Huge. It's big. In it's fact, a monster. It's so monstrous that we've had to cut it back a fraction. We've got a very special guest, Dr. Johnny Bowden from the United States. If you haven't heard of him, uh, Google. Bowden is spelt B-O-W-D-E-N. He's one of the world's leading and I guess one of the most well-known nutritionists and commentators on nutrition and diet. And he's a, a board-certified nutritionist. He's got a master's degree in psychology. He's written a whole stack of books, a number of which have been bestsellers. And uh, the one that we'll be talking about with him today is a book that he's written called The Great Cholesterol Myth. Yep. He co-wrote that with Dr. Stephen Sinatra. Sinatra, yeah. Basically dispelling the, uh, the myths that uh, are around about dietary cholesterol and the, the link of cholesterol levels to heart disease. Yeah, and he, um, he made reference to that Catalyst uh, report uh, that I think he had last year, Marianne. Damazi was the, the reporter on that one, but it was very controversial, and and he said that there was um, it, it never experienced so much uh, opposition to the show actually going to air, then it went to air, and then it caused a, a quite a, a furor. But I mean, Johnny said that uh, you know the facts that she she went through on that program were um, were just the facts. It wasn't uh, everyone thought it was biased towards uh, what Johnny's uh, preaching, but um, it, it's just the way it is interesting then in depth with dr johnny bowden yeah, so quite a character as well in light of that we thought to pack it all in we'll we're just going to have a look at a few things today we're going to um our program of the week we're looking at a concept of overreaching or overtraining and we're going to have a look at the frank zane method and yeah. all various adaptations of this and we'll go into more detail about that during the segment but yeah i guess hypertrophy is an adaptation to biological stress to the body and yep. uh, to a degree the bigger the stress the higher the peak of adaptation and so you can strategically overtrain a person to, to bring up a certain yeah. body part or to force the body into hypertrophy or strength gains yeah yeah i mean i mean the one that you always get with what i find with the super compensation or any sort of overreaching you you nearly always get the strength element but uh you know you've got to time your nutrition and um and your overreaching period not to fatigue them too much but to fatigue them enough so they get enough of a stimulus but you know i always see you know in everyone's clients that that at the chpc we certainly 
we u- utilize this uh, training stimulus uh, time and time again with a, with a wide variety of clients and um, be it strength gains or, or like you said the hypertrophy or body composition gains it seems to work well across the board but but across the board it's always you always see an increase in strength you know mm. and hypertrophy yeah you gotta you gotta t- play the numbers and, and get everything right to, to really benefit that and the funny thing is tom with that super compensation and that that overcompensation of the the stimulus that you put on and then we'll go into more detail but you know that can take a little while you know you, you yes. finish the phase and it's like okay my week recovery and then the, the end of the week out, okay, I'm not any heavier, I'm not any bigger, what's going on? But then in the, the subsequent two or three weeks, it's Latent like, effects. Yeah, then yes. they, they really grow. Yeah, we'll give you the, the do's and don'ts and how we, how we do it down at the CHPC, which would be really cool. So one of the keys of overreaching then is the recovery process. Yeah. And in our supplement of the week on this episode, we're going to have a look at glutamine. Yeah. Glutamine does a, a range of things. It's quite a wonderful amino acid, but can play a crucial role in recovery. It's the most abundant in the body. Yes, it's the most abundant free amino acid in the body and it does get depleted through overtraining. So it's yes. one of those things that uh, if you are going through a significant phase of training, glutamine should be uh, part of the regime, but it has a lot of medical adaptations uh, as staple, well. Staple, perhaps. Too. Oh, staple. Of oh. this, yeah. <laughs> of the uh, CHPC. Oh, oh, oh supplementation. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I use it with, definitely religiously with all, all my clients uh, somewhere in their program, that's for sure. The Van Dam thing started with blood sport for me back in the day. Yes. And Cam's just told me that the one up on TV at the moment's nowhere to run. I haven't seen uh, this I one. I think that's one of his later ones, mate. Was it? Yeah. He still looks pretty young and fresh-faced in that one. Mm. Although, I mean, he still does now, really, given the amount of uh, the amount of work he's had. Yes. Smile, frown, both looks the same. Now, mate, uh, next year, the uh, 2015 Arnold Classic will be held down in Melbourne. Yeah. Basically... IFBB. From your perspective, it's the IFBB in terms of the physique competitions that are a part of the Arnold Classic. But yep. the whole Arnold weekend, all the three days that are down there, it's, a, I guess, a multi-sport event. They've got yeah. martial arts and, and combat sports. They've got powerlifting, endurance events. They've even got golf. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of stuff happening on that weekend. <laughs> but if we focus yeah, on... Yeah, like they scrunched your face up when you said, they've got golf. What have they got golf? I think well, it's a sport hey, as well. I love golf. So do I. But, frustrating uh, game, though. Oh, it's the most frustrating. Mm. I actually think pound for pound is probably the hardest sport <laughs> that there is. Anyway, that's another conversation. Yes. But Arnie will be there. He'll, he'll be making an appearance. And there has been a suggestion to, <laughs> to under the yeah, bar whatever. that Just we interview Arnold for the program. And I, look, I've got no problems with that. Yes. I think I had, we had this conversation through the week. And uh, I think I said something along the lines of, there is no way on this earth that Arnold will... Uh, but then you pointed out that maybe it's a sneaky one because we'll be down there. We'll be down uh, there. I mean, you've got to go down to um, get some audio uh, at the, the yeah, other weekend. I've got to go down because I'm going to have clients down there. Yeah. You know, they want me there saying, yes, you look fantastic. Yes, you're going to win. You know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pump up. Yeah, you're looking great. But no, I've got to be down there for, for my guys down there and girls. And um, maybe a sneaky... Maybe know. we could just pull him aside and say, hey, Big Arnie, look, it's uh, Rawdon and Tom here. Yeah, from uh, under the bar. From under the bar. And, <laughs> And he was like, oh, under the bar, yes, I've been wanting to come on that show. Uh, fingers crossed. Anyway, mate, you do have competitors down there. I think you've got about, what, five or six in total? Uh, potentially three girls, four guys, so six or seven. Six or seven people yeah. down there competing. So one of those clients is a girl called Maya, who you've, yeah. you've been uh, training for a while. 
it's a bit murky at times murky. Uh, with, with her preparation, but you've had to put her through a specific phase of training to balance out the aesthetics of her physique because yeah. she's got very well-developed lower body. She uh, has got some quads some on her. Some seriously staunch quads and glutes. Yes. But you've done some work to bring up the shoulders and the, the upper back and the, the lats and everything for her. So yeah. why don't you just give us a bit of an insight into her latest phase of training and um, what you've done? Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess for, for her... First time in the IFBB, so they're um, pretty staunch girls in the IFBB. So she's doing figure. So figure, think uh, bikini. The girls with with a bit of tone, some slight definition through the midsection, some still some curves. And then the next one up that would be you know your figure where they got more muscularity. You know they're starting to look like they're. I mean conditioning plays a big part of that. Uh, and then up from that's physique, then bodybuilding. So more muscle again for those two. So this I guess is you know being as Staunching as muscle as you can, but still being feminine as well. So, yeah. I knew that when I started training her, just looking at what she had been doing, just some structured, uh, you know, heavy emphasis on on training full stop, and nutritionally supporting that with with quite an aggressive supplementation protocol. I knew that her legs would grow anyway, so it was mm-hmm. more a case of, okay, her legs are going to grow and respond anyway. And that's fantastic, but if I don't do something to address the upper body as well, then yeah, then really by me programming aggressively for her I would be changing her aesthetic so I had to sort of take a step back and say okay cool this is probably going to happen look at her you know she trains X amount now and her physique is already really strong in the lower body upper body is good too so for me it was a matter of addressing the lower body with some big movements but then also really prioritizing the upper body and that that overreaching or that that super compensation that you were talking about uh, that's the sort of uh, theory, the spin on that, and and the Frank Zane, which we'll go into now, that's uh, you know an adaptation of that training stimulus, is what I uh, have used over the last you know four or five weeks with with uh, Maya. So yeah, and, and that's the most significant body comp change. I guess everyone sort of said, well, yeah, what are you doing, with Maya? She looks she's looking staunch when she comes in. So yes. she is looking. Uh, she's made great progress, and and uh, but you know, uh, hat off to her. Like I've given her the plan and. You know, there's good clients and there's awesome clients. She's an awesome client. She just follows everything I say, uh, everything yep. I say to the nth degree, which you know, generally is my rule with my clients. You yeah. know, quickly get dropped if they don't. All jokes aside, yeah, that's what I use. So, yeah. Well, mate, well, I mean, look, we'll get to the program a little later yeah. in the show, and we'll have a look at the the Frank Zane method and what you did specifically with yeah. her. But I guess to get a little bit deeper into the theory behind overreaching or overtraining, yeah. basically. There's kind of single and dual factor training, and I guess single factor training is where you would start provide a stimulus to the muscle. Mm. There's a, a certain amount of fatigue, then you go through a curve of recovery, yep. and then a super compensation where the body actually rebounds slightly above where the baseline was prior to that initial stimulus. That's fantastic. You want to try and bleed that system dry, then after a while there is a diminishing returns with that and particularly for athletes or well-conditioned people who have trained in weights for a long time or professional athletes basically to keep getting gains they need to put themselves in bigger and bigger holes so basically yeah you provide a stimulus there's a certain amount of fatigue it starts to recover and then you hit it with more stimulus and more overtraining before you actually get that super compensation effect to really increase the stress on the body many layers down and then with the right recovery the rebound effect of that and the super compensation is what takes them well and truly above and beyond the baseline where they yeah. were when they started. Yeah, and I think at the end of that, when they do uh, rebound, there's a little bit of 
use it or lose it you know if you if you don't capitalize on, on yes. all those gains here so you know you give them the recovery that's fantastic you get that right you get the nutrition the supplementation right they rebound with the, you know an increase in lean muscle mass or a, a strength increase you know it's a case of this if if you don't then start training again yeah yeah then you then that that super compensation you come back to that original baseline i guess yeah. there's different ways to do it the frank zane method that we've mentioned is basically training the same body part three days in a row and we'll go into the details of that i mean you yeah. could do twice a day training yep one of the things you and i've both done and we utilize occasionally at the chpc is uh yeah. super accumulation yeah which the, is the, basically a, a two-week period of of overtraining the poliquin uh which uh, charles made famous there i mean he's got a uh t nation you can google that one and, and have a look at that we got our own little uh as much as Charles says not to change it, I think uh, the big dog uh, tweaked it a little bit. That's that, a little that we used. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's uh, I think is it. Uh, I think it's eighteen sessions in in, in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. You know? nine sessions a week. Yep, eighteen sessions yeah. in two weeks. All full body workouts. And, yeah. Uh, by the end of that one, it's pretty quite traumatic for you. Yeah. It was very yeah, very traumatic for me. It was thrown at you. You're going to do it again, Tom? And uh, it's almost you got to pause and. Uh, you know, shed a little tear and wipe it from your eyes. Well, there was one day traumatic. in the second week of the training, I'd been in and done the AM workout, and uh, I had a gap in the middle of the day, so I went and did some did grocery shopping and stuff like that. Went home, yeah, as you do, and I was going to come back in then to do the PM workout and then do a couple of sessions. So it's a lot, you know, you're starting at six and you're yeah. finishing at seven, and you've got to train twice, and you've been doing it already for eight or nine uh, days. Eight or nine days, and yeah. it all just gets too much. I hopped off the train at the station. There was a big flight of stairs up to the <laughs> platform, and I had. All my bags, long them. I had the shopping bags in each hand, and then it started raining. Oh. And I and I, st- I stood and I looked up at the sky, and I just yes. stood there and shed a little tear. Yeah, that know? was you had the the cover of the rain, so now I would know that you were yeah. upset. So it quite all clever. Ju- it all just got too much. But um, <laughs> for me, over those two weeks of training, uh, I lost two percent body fat, and at the end yeah. of it, I was actually four kilos heavier as well yeah. a lot of that was glycogen loading and stuff yeah, probably sure. at the end of that phase but what was effective why that uh, system of training worked well for me Rod, and I think was because I was quite lean when I started yeah. and that you got to pick your right client and the right time to do it and they have yeah. to be conditioned to a certain level to take on this kind of thing but if you are a relatively lean and insulin sensitive then you can really cash in on that recovery yeah. phase as well and load your system with nutrients and carbohydrates yeah. and all that kind of stuff and the training age i guess you got to sort of think of there you know a good 12 months of uh good training you know decent training age and so you can really uh, you know achieve that 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 dig that high. i've got actually another client he actually flies up from melbourne to get assessed once a mm. month so i put him through a twice a day every day so we had two rest days they're not quite the same as the super accumulation but for me it was a, a two-week over training phase i dropped his calories back down to to baseline just what he needed to get through no surplus so again creating a little bit of a you know starving the body of yep. of, of, of calories so you know the, you got to understand that the body always wants a homeostasis it wants that balance so if, yes. if, you, if you're sort of stressing it and you know he did one week reports in each week sends me photos and he looked a bit sort of you know his hair was a bit scruffy and he you know he looked a bit, a bit a bit of a slump in his shoulders i went oh yeah you're looking good for the first week then into the second week and I emailed him and said make sure you dig yourself into the hole every workout you know I mean yeah. I think Polycon says balls to the wall every workout you know so That's really right. push yourself hard anyway he did and uh, and he reported in the end of last week there and uh, and he, you know it was quite a you know man it was, it was a tough week it was quite emotional a few of those workouts and yeah. uh, sleep was terrible and 
you know, I was, I was fighting, and, you know, it was, it was irritable and all the signs of overtraining, which essentially you want to look for those things. And yes. If they're doing it right, if they're still smiling at the end of the two week or whatever the phase is and they're clicking the heels when they, they leave the gym, you know, you might want to question whether they're, they've got they're the right hard, training intensity because yeah. it should be quite miserable. It should be all miserable. Jokes aside. The, the joints should be sore, the tendon, yeah. tendon's aching a little bit. And, you know, the, the photos the week before I said were quite bad, you know, quite disheveled and, and the ones this week was... a. Uh, even worse. Yeah, and he even looked like he'd uh, his body comp, like the stress had, had sort of smoothed him out a little bit, yeah. a lot of fluid. Remember, with any any sort of stress or cortisol you put on the body, you know, you're going to have a, an associated fluid retention. So, I mean, they were all signs that I was looking for. I looked at the photo, and yeah, he definitely yeah. softened last week. Yeah. Even lost a bit of muscle mass, that's yep. fine. So now, this week, again, I won't give you all the details, but, you know, a huge amount of calories, a lot of carb, and I read him quite low carbohydrate, just enough to get through his workouts last yep. week. And um, and this week he loads up for you know I think it's a hundred percent over his maintenance, so double the amount of calories he needs for the first three days, and that tapers down towards the end of the week, and then he'll go into a, a new phase. But no training this week, so yep. he's uh, yeah, I haven't touched base yet, but I'm pretty sure he will be um, he will rebound yeah significantly in the subsequent weeks, so in the next few weeks. Yep. And that's one of the things when you're actually going through the overtraining phase, I guess you have to trust the program and, and yeah. not what's happening with your body because yes. if you are doing it properly, you probably will lose muscle, you, yep. your weight will go down, you, you'll feel flat and horrible and that's, yeah. like you said, that's a good sign that you're doing things correctly and then you, yeah. can, like, you can really cash in on the, the with, rebound effect. Within reason, I mean, obviously I don't want injuries, but yeah, yeah those, those just niggling little things are all part of the course, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. So a couple of little takeaways for that one, Rorden. I mean, as we mentioned, be conscious of the joint and tendon yep. health um, throughout the training. Consider the obviously the psychological effects of what's happening and what yep. else is going on in your lifestyle. You know, if it's a really busy time at work or if you've got exams on or something like that, then probably not the best. Idea. Not the best time to go through overtraining. You got to pick your time. Yeah, and I, and I think you really need you need to know your client and know what is the right stimulus for that client, the right training intensity that they can put themselves into a hole. Because uh, a word of warning, you put them too deep. Uh, again, I've had another client that I've done this with, Big Steve. So I put him so deep. You know, he, he I think he's just recovered now, eight yeah. months later. So, yeah, be aware of that. you got to get the, the intensity and the, and the volume just right. So, obviously, just know your client. But, yeah, an awesome training stimulus, super compensation. Uh, by all means, Google it if you want a, a few more facts and figures and, and, and to have a look at some diagrams and stuff like that. But, but really cool and something that... You know, I certainly like to use and, and you use with your clients and a lot of the other coaches down at the CHPC use with, with great effect. Well, that guy's about to get punched in the face. Oh. You can just see him talking smack to Van Damme. That's not going to last long at No, all. he did the, the furrowed brow then, so... <laughs> Another celebrity. Glutamine, Rorden. Yes, Tom. As we mentioned at the top, it is the most abundant free amino acid in the body. It's actually uh, produced in the muscles. From there, it gets into the bloodstream and circulates around to the various organs and things like that. It's involved in so many different functions within the human system that it's actually not a bad idea to give yourself a surplus of glutamine to draw from yeah. if you are an active person, particularly if you're a training individual. Yeah. From a recovery perspective, Rod, I know that it's a bit of a staple in the post-workout shakes, but it, it does um, in the trenches play a, a crucial role in uh, muscle recovery. It certainly does. I mean, it has been uh, linked to protein synthesis, cell volume hydration, so any sort of sarcoplasmic, we mentioned that the other week, but any sort of that volume type training that you're punishing your client with or yourself, glutamine could certainly boost the cell volume and hydration that you're after there. 
I guess staple recovery definitely post workout pre workout so you can certainly in your again if you if you're sliding into some sort of uh, uh, volume type session uh, pre workout you can certainly use it there as well but also it's worth noting very good for intestinal health Tom and that's yes. that's probably you're going to well, branch I mean, off to that and, and, and yeah. talk about that as well. I mean, glutamine is, like we said, it's amino acid. It's actually the primary building block of the intestinal lining. So yeah, it's a preferential fuel to heal the lining of the gut and keep it healthy, definitely. Yeah, so there's there's a huge percentage of people probably in the cafe right now who have got some sort of intestinal permeability going yeah. on, a bit, a bit of the old leaky gut syndrome. And yes. doctors will quite often use glutamine to help repair stomach ulcers and stuff like that yeah. or for treatment of Crohn's disease and these sorts of things. Yeah. And so a high dosage of glutamine spread throughout the day, I think anywhere up to 80 grams, you could have sort of eight serves of 10 grams a day to yeah. help uh, rebuild the stomach lining yep. and the, uh, the intestinal fortitude of, of the gut. Yes. <laughs> Word of the uh, program, fortitude. But they do use it in a whole lot of other things. Like yeah. I know with burns victims, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. they're on glutamine pretty much drip fed throughout the day because it does help repair burns. They use it for patients who are getting chemotherapy and yeah. various cancer treatments. Glutamine tends to help the symptoms of all that kind of stuff. So sort of muscular wounds, it's, it's very effective. Yeah. And that, that's... You know, a lot of proven um, track record there with the, with the glutamine, and they actually do use it. You know, AIDS, you know, if muscle wastage is something you want to avoid, and, you know, they use it in um, people that are suffering from AIDS as well. So in that recovery phase that we spoke about earlier from the overreaching, then it would make sense that, well, we want to get the glutamine. We're going to get it from our nutrition anyway. So it's, it's in proteins and eggs and whey, dairy. You're going to get some anyway, but some additional supplementation of glutamine in that recovery period really dots your I's and crosses the T's and really makes sure that that amino acid is, is abundant in the body. So all that growth and repair, there's no stones left unturned in regards to that. And there's no real issue with, with uh, other than GI distress. And so you'll know if you've supplemented too much, you might have some... Um, you know, some GI distress, but other than that, like it's it's really well tolerated. And like you said, sixty percent of the skeletal muscle is is made of glutamine. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's it's very the most abundant in the body. So, dosages, Tom. What do you use with uh, with your guys? Post workout, ten to twenty grams. Yeah. If it's some sort of a gut rebuild or something, I like to do with some of my clients is give a fruit and vegetable cleanse. And, yeah, and yeah. A, as part of that, they'll get a fair bit of glutamine throughout. Yep. And so they may have you know up to. 50 or 60 grams of glutamine. But that would be for just a week or two. Not yeah, yeah, just period. for a, yep. a five to seven day period, they would load that and have 10 grams of glutamine at five to six different times throughout the day. Yep. I have actually found with female clients, sometimes they don't tolerate that much glutamine. I did have one female client who was just who was doing a cleanse protocol and she was getting really, really nauseous all the yeah, time. Yeah, I have had that before Basically too. played with everything that was in there and the one variable when we played with it was the glutamine. And it was yeah. just... It was she. Uh, making her really queasy. Um, so that no would be, good. That would be the only thing to uh, play around with it. And uh, a couple of little sneaky things that I do do with glutamine. Oh, wait a second. Is this in the trenches type stuff? This is on? a bit of in the trenches Ooh. kind of stuff. And I picked this one up from... Edge of the seat um, type stuff. From Charles Poliquin, actually. Oh. You can take glutamine, and I've been doing this recently with your sleep stack to enhance the benefits of, of sleep. So at the moment, I take, I think, 2,000 milligrams of magnesium at night time yep. with uh, 10 to 15 milligrams of melatonin. Mm-hmm. Chuck in uh, 10 grams of glutamine with that, and for some reason, I don't know what, exactly what it is and the science behind it, but there's something synergistic about glutamine with sleep with your sleep stack. Mm. I think it's because glutamine works so well 
with so many different functions that it just goes to where it's needed and it mm. seems to enhance the uh, the effect of uh, the sleep supplementation and really knocks you out. Mate, a little bit of a white lab coat on a there bit of when a you sneaky went through one. that. Yeah. Well, I put the white lab coat on for this one, mate, because right, far away. it's also quite good for quelling cravings. So if you yes. have clients yes. that are really struggling with sugar or carbohydrate yeah. cravings, if they tolerate dairy quite well, the sneaky thing is to give them a couple of tablespoons of double cream yeah. 10 grams of glutamine, maybe a bit of cacao powder and some stevia. Yeah. Mix that up into a little pudding and have that. Bang, Curb the cravings. Get rid of the cravings, yeah. yeah. Amino acids, uh, branched chain aminos can help with the, the cravings too. Um, but yeah, glutamine for the cravings, sugar cravings, definitely. I've used that. So yeah, glutamine, definitely. Uh, I like to use it with all my clients. Program of the week. Gordon. Yes, Tom. Spin on the Frank Zane. Spin on the Frank Zane yeah. method. Frank Zane, of course, was one of the uh, the classic classic bodybuilders. Had a Won really a couple of times, I think. Aesthetic physique. Aesthetic Frank Zane. Physique. Well, we, you and I, prefer uh, the aesthetic physique, don't we, Tom? As, as we opposed like to, to the mass monster. Yeah. Yeah. You know those those tree trunk legs, kangles. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's you know the aesthetics is definitely important at the CHPC. That's for sure. And so, mate, we mentioned Maya, your client at the top of the yeah. show, and, and how you had to bring up her upper body and have done so yeah. quite successfully Very using staunch. an adaptation on the Frank Zane method, which is basically training the weak body part or the targeted body part for three days consecutively. Yeah. So how did you structure it with Maya? Mate, I, I um, basically the start of the... Actually, the end of the week. So Sunday, let's go from Sunday. So Sunday was a, a refeed day for her. Mm-hmm. So she had enough carbohydrates on her training days to train, uh, replenish glycogen post-workout, obviously, to train. But other than that, there was zero carbs elsewhere in the day. So it was you know, her protein, fats, and, and vegetable green, fibrous greens, I guess. She reloaded her glycogen stores and refueled metabolism by these... Not that her metabolism was struggling because she's on a surplus of calories anyway, but basically refed twice a week. So starting on the Sunday, so imagine she refeeds, glycogen stores full, lots of stored energy ready to go. So yep. from Monday, that's when we started. So it was a uh, a.m. p.m. Monday, Tuesday a.m., Wednesday a.m., and then she she did a refeed. So three days consecutively training the same body part. Yep, off the back of a refeed. Off the back of a refeed, so ready to go. Ready to go. All fueled up. Train the same body part. Yeah, deplete it down. Hit it with another refeed. Hit it with another refeed. Right. And then into another, after that on the Friday, so she refed on Thursday after Friday, she did another twice a day, once on Saturday. So again, depleting down again with some overtraining twice a day, uh, and then refeed again on the Sunday, and then repeated it. So this sort of went for a good... Yeah, four or five weeks, I guess, this last phase. Um, quite big volume. So the the training programs that I that I utilized with, with Maya, she did a like a wave load. And so why don't we tell the body parts? So it's back and shoulders is what I was trying to be, yep. bring up for her. So think upper body. Uh, obviously, there's a carryover with the biceps and triceps in that. So we're getting a bit of growth through there as well. But I also prioritize the, the arms later in the week. So she started with on Monday like a wave load. So wave load, think... Um, X amount of sets, each set the, the, the reps come down. So think more of a uh, example, use seven, five, three. So okay. seven reps, five. So she's getting down to triples. Yep. So a decent uh, recruitment of type 2B, although it's more fast twitch fast muscle fibers. So think yep. heavy loads, bigger rest periods. 
back and shoulders there. Then on the PM, she does a sort of a, a heavy light uh, variation, I suppose, and that is a, a superset of same body parts, six and twelve reps. Okay. So again, like volume increasing, uh, more reps, less sets in in, in that second mm-hmm. workout. Uh, and then the third workout. So this uh, is the next day. Next day, so Tuesday. we've gone Tuesday morning now. Now I think more volume. Now I've gone a tricep, so I've gone eight, eight, and sixteen reps. Okay. Okay, so same body part, vertical and horizontal pulls for back, and then obviously shoulders are in there too. So 8, 8, 16 again. So she's trained back and shoulders twice on the Monday, and then she hits it up again with yep. more volume on so the Wednesday. So she's getting pretty uh, beaten so up now. She's so starting to feel that. Yeah, three workouts for the same body part in the space of two days with the yep. volume increasing in each workout. Volume increasing and the intensity decreasing. Yeah, so what do you hit it with on and Wednesday? And then the Wednesday was a, again a tricep, but it was a 10 10 10 method so drop set so 10 reps drop the weight 10 yep. drop the weight and 10 so 30 reps again less sets but but more reps and i think the reps were up around 800 or so for that workout yep so it was progressively each workout sets uh came down reps came up but yep. the the repetitions for each increased by sort of 100 150 each workout the total so workout yeah, 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 yeah got more and more as she then you know bam she's about she's on the floor crawling out of the gym you know, and then she refeeds. So rests, chills out, eats a lot of carbohydrates, has, yep. you know, probably gets the old, you know, walking dead on the old... Gets the blankie out over the toes. Gets the blankie toes, out of the yeah. toes, you know, eats her carbs. But then she, um, on Friday, quad hamstring wave load. So the same as what I did on the the Monday AM workout. I still wanted to load up pretty heavy through her lower body. Didn't want too much volume through the lower because yep. I don't want her to blow out. Yep. So more density through the lower body. So that wave load method, again, that was the, mm-hmm. the highest intensity of all those workouts, if you remember. Yep. And then bicep, triceps, smaller muscle group. I want those mofos to grow. So the 10, 10, 10 uh, method that I used on the last day on Wednesday, yep. she does that for buys and tries. And remember, there is going to be quite a bit of carryover with all her pressing through the pressing tricep and, pulling. and all her pullings through the biceps. So they've already been overtrained. But again, we give them a touch-up on the Friday afternoon, PM sessions, it's twice a day there. And then for Saturday, she does posterior chain and her chest. Yeah. Okay, so a wave load again. So think push-pull, all the workouts were push-pull if you had a look. So yep. shoulders back, push-pull, uh, hamstring quads, push-pull, bicep triceps, pull-push. Yep. But that, I love using that with, with most of my workouts. Uh, each workout would have a push-pull element, so yeah. agonist antagonist, can't go wrong. But that's the workout, two refeed days, calories are up uh, 100% above what her maintenance is, so she's up around... 3,600 or so on her Pretty rest days, which, yeah. yeah, you know, and um, she's she's done really well. So uh, I'm hoping for some, uh, you know, a kilo or two of muscle out of this last sort of four or five week phase. For a girl, that's phenomenal, but I'll happy, be happy with that. Okay, so just to wrap up the Frank Zane adaptation, mate, if you do have a lagging body part that you, that you want to bring up, and yeah. we'll put up a um, an example of Myers program on the website and people yeah. can sort of download that and have a play around with... They can. If they do have a weak body part, what they might like to, uh, to bring up with hitting it three days consecutive and then maybe a surplus of calories thereafter. Okay, you're listening to Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying the show thus far. And now, Rawdon, in previous episodes in our superfood yes. segment, we have we've discussed things like coconut oil and yep. butter and eggs. They're all bad for you, Tom. Yeah, that's they got right. saturated fat in them. 
we had Keegan Smith on the show the other week yep. talking about ghee. Yep. And it seems that pretty much every episode, fat comes up in some sort of uh, reference that we make. And yeah. uh, I mean, you and I know from our experience getting people in shape and affecting body composition changes that that macronutrient of fat plays a, a crucial role in every nutrition plan yeah. that goes out regardless. And I guess from a very base level in just caloric intake to support yep. a healthy metabolism or, yep. or to, to hit a calorie surplus to look to go for hypertrophy fat plays a role there but beyond that in terms of the health of the human fat is absolutely critical everything from brain function to libido yeah well the, i mean that's why they're uh things called essential fatty acids essential meaning we actually need them for life so yeah definitely it's a it's a fundamental part of just just general health let alone performance or fat loss or hypertrophy and so the last couple of episodes we have discussed about the the misconceptions out there around uh, cholesterol and you referenced Mm. the infamous hansel key study of the 1950s where all this started and we did promise our listeners that at some stage we'd get on someone a little bit more qualified than than you or i to yes uh, to really delve into this issue in some more depth Perhaps a doctor. <laughs> Precisely. And we, in our searches, we actually asked a good friend of ours, Charles Poliquin, who would yep. be the best person to possibly get on to, to talk about this. Yep. And straight away, he said, uh, Dr. Johnny Bowden. So uh, Dr. Johnny Bowden is from the States. He's based in the States. He's a, a PhD in nutrition, among other qualifications. Written a, a whole stack of books, over a dozen yep. books, from the 150 healthiest foods on earth to the great cholesterol myth, myth. Which, we'll, yeah. which we'll discuss today. He contributes to a number of national publications in the States. He's been on all over radio and TV, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC. Uh, apart from being very knowledgeable, we'll soon find out that he's also very engaging to yes. listen to. I'm passionate about cholesterol. And uh, Johnny, so we thank you for very much for your time, mate, and uh, welcome to the show. Oh, guys, it's my pleasure. I, I'm just, I wish I could be with you there in person. I've always <laughs> wanted to see Australia. Well, look, if you do ever come out to Australia, Johnny, we'd love to get you in the studio. Yes, firsthand. Did you know that that I was part of an international incident in Australia about the very subject that you are probably going to ask me about, cholesterol? Was that the catalyst? uh, Yes. uh, You should tell our listeners about that if they don't know. It's a really amazing story. We... There's a a reporter on the Australian Broadcasting Company, which, as I understand it, is a very, very well-respected... Yeah. uh, You know, it's like the BBC out there or maybe the PBS we have over here in the United States. Yeah. And uh, this reporter decided to do a two-part story on cholesterol, heart disease, and statin drugs. Yes. And she came to the States... And she interviewed me and Dr. Sinatra and a number of other uh, cholesterol skeptics, if you will, <laughs> people who did not buy the conventional theory on any of this. Yeah. And yeah. she interviewed us, and, and it was, you know, I guess uh, um, she definitely was very uh, sympathetic to our point of view. I mean, this was not a hatchet job. She gave us a very fair hearing. Well, yeah. yep. she was... Uh, she told me that in all her years of reporting, she's never been vetted <clears throat> like that. I mean, they triple-checked every fact. Yeah. They triple-checked every reference. My editors did the same thing with, with our book. And when the thing came out, there was a letter-writing campaign of such magnitude that it almost caused an international incident. And I'll tell you what I mean. <laughs> the letters that went to the... Uh, the show is called Catalyst, The Heart of the Matter. That's yeah. right. Um I, I believe they've had it removed from YouTube. I'm not sure, but there may be. It is still, I believe, on the ABC website. I think it's and, been removed. Yeah. I think it's been is removed because we, we did it. Rod and I did a bit of a search for it and we, we couldn't find it. Yeah. 
Well, the story of how it came to be removed is really the, the real story here. Uh, a letter-writing campaign of such magnitude that I, I, I can't even describe. They had headlines that said 30,000 people will die because they will throw away their medications if they listen to the quackery and charlatanism that's being portrayed by this show that should know better. And who is this chick that's the reporter? And Well, it turns out that the reporter... She's a PhD in medical journalism from Columbia University. <laughs> she's no slouch. She's no newsreader. And she did a magnificent investigation into the myths of cholesterol and to the potential dangers of statin drugs. And I think she gave a very fair hearing. Hmm. But the powers that be did not want that thing shown. We had, I, I, I have, in the, in the two years since I wrote The Great Cholesterol Myth, I have uh, frequently supported the Malaysian palm oil industry because I, I think palm oil is a great saturated fat and I've done a couple of TV bits, you know, kind of public service things saying I think palm oil is really good. There were letter writing campaigns that said this was a, a, a conspiracy by the Malaysian Palm Oil Association to get Johnny Bowden's publicity, <laughs> even though this all happened two years after the book was written. I mean, the stuff, the attacks on Sinatra, on the character of the people who were in this thing. It was, it was such a concerted a, a, a campaign. And then they sent letter writers around to every website that had copies of this, saying it was a copyright infringement and forcing them to take it down, including YouTube. So this gives you some idea, gentlemen. I only talked about the story because it gives you some idea of how revolutionary and in Flaming this information is and, and how much the powers that be and I'm no conspiracy theorist but mm. there is a vested interest in keeping people believing that cholesterol causes heart disease that statin drugs should be in the water supply that <laughs> saturated fat is the cause of dietary ills like di di uh, diabetes and obesity and all the rest of this and, and heart disease and and these things just aren't true and mm. and anyone who you know says they're not true is attacked very, very viciously. Now, that's changing. I just came from the American College of Nutrition Conference in the States, in San Antonio, and one of the hottest topics was high-fat diets for athletes, for high-performance athletes, for Olympic-quality cyclists. They brought along some of the, I mean, these are professors, by the way, and they brought along some of the actual subjects we've been working with. So high-fat diets are, are, are breaking through, and the notion of cholesterol as being at the cause of heart disease is, is slowly collapsing. But what happened in Australia with that documentary just gives you an idea of the amount of opposition we're going to face in trying yeah, to get the true yes. message out there. Johnny, can you tell me, where was the opposition coming from? I mean, is this from the pharmaceutical industries, or is it from the government? Who are the, the vested well, we, interests? Well, we don't... You know, we when these letter writing campaigns come. I mean, the, the your version of the American Heart Association was very, very negative about the documentary. Didn't want it shown. Yes. I don't know what they. I mean, we, ours is the AHA, the American Heart Association. Yeah, it's, it's the is. um, it's the Heart Foundation. They're they're the peak body for heart health in Australia. It's exactly who it was. They were very, very, very violently opposed to this. Yes. Uh, I I don't know all of the other. People, I mean, certainly the. Let me just give you my one story about the pharmaceutical industry. And again, no conspiracy theorists. It's just the way stuff is done. When we wrote the Great Cholesterol Myth, we asked for endorsements, and we got wonderful, incredible blurbs. You know, every author sends the book out. They send out the manuscript. They try to get blurbs. We got a lot of great blurbs, and we sent 
you know, from very distinguished MDs, PhDs, all kinds of people. And, and, and I had sent the manuscript to a friend of mine who is a tenured professor of medicine at one of the, uh, one of the best known schools in the world. And he wrote back to my editor, and this is what he said. And I, I will never, I, seriously, and I don't blame him, I understand, but I just want to give you a, a sense of the kind of power that the opposition has here. The, the professor wrote back and he said, I am a big fan of Johnny Bowden's. I will continue to be a fan, but unfortunately I must remain a fan anonymously. If I were to endorse this book, the pharmaceutical industry would have my hide. His career would be over. Yeah, Funding yeah. would disappear, endorsements, I mean, just all kinds of stuff can happen. And these guys are afraid of that kind of power. And I understand that. But I only mention it to point out that this is not exactly a non-controversial area and that there are some very big, strong, vested interests in keeping things the way they are. Well, I think not only are there big, strong, vested interests, but just general practitioners, well-respected cardiologists, there, there are still so many people, uh, doctors, people in authority, and these are people who in society have some of the most uh, revered and, and trusted pillars in the way that we operate as a community, and they do prescribe low-fat diets, and they do prescribe statins, statins yeah. drugs. Yeah. So it, it is very difficult to, to rationalize against that sort of power, particularly from our perspective, because we're yeah. just personal trainers. Yes. Well, you know, the low-fat diet is in its death throes. I mean, even mainstream, over here anyway, are, are kind of abandoning it in droves. There's just been study after study, the Women's Health Initiative, the Mr. Fit study, every study that comes out. The, the weight loss on low-fat diets is pathetic. It's just pathetic. Mm. Um, it's not sustained. People get have, have worse metrics when they look at things like triglycerides and, and things that really matter. Um, and just nobody improves on a low-fat diet. Now... The exceptions are, are people who really, you know, eat, eat a ton of vegetables and, you know, are very strict with a lot of other things and, and were very sick before. Sure, they're going to see some improvement if, and any changes to the diet, but I'd argue that they'd see huge improvements on a clean fat, high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet as well if they were eating the right kind of food. So uh, basically in research study after research study low-fat diets are bombing and and you're even seeing an abandonment of that among you know medical mainstream but what you aren't seeing is is an admission that saturated fat isn't one of the bad guys so what you the best you'll get is okay low-fat diets aren't so are great so you should you can eat you can have more olive oil after all and, and you know some mm. fat is good like from fish well that's all true but what, what they miss is that it's not just that some fat is good, it's that you really need a lot more fat than we've been told. And yeah. what people have done is they've substituted fat, and, and the food companies have been complicit in this, and it, it, they've substituted carbohydrate for the fat they've taken out of their diet. And yes. the research is very clear on that. There's a great Harvard study that, that shows exactly what happens when you swap out, uh, carb you take saturated fat out of the diet and swap in carbohydrates all the cardiovascular metabolic risk factors get worse. So, you know, it, 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 the, the, the swap out that happened was, you know, an inadvertent collateral damage to the, to the health of the public. Mm. We, we were taught that fat was bad. We took fat out of the diet. We replaced it with sugar and starch, and we're getting fat, sick, tired, and depressed, and we're getting bigger by the minute and more unhealthy by the minute. The low-fat diet doesn't work. It was a yeah. horrible nutritional experiment. It was the worst idea in history, and we should abandon it and let it yeah. die. Yes, and, and it doesn't taste very good either. I mean, you know, when you put butter on things, on it, tastes, it. it tastes awesome with butter. <laughs> butter on butter. That's my breakfast. 
Uh, Johnny, if, if you don't mind, for our, for our listener, I mean, uh, I have a basic grasp on, on cholesterol, LDL, HDL, uh, VLDL, triglycerides, and all that sort of stuff. But for our listener, can you can you sort of give us a bit of an overview of cholesterol, what it does, and um, you know its role in the body? Well, cholesterol is a molecule that is a class of, of a lipid called a sterol, and it, it functions, it does a lot of important things in the body. It's the parent molecule for your sex hormones. Yeah. So let's just start there. Let, let me just start there because that gets everybody's attention. Okay. You make your sex hormones out of cholesterol. We've got in this country, I don't know what percentage, 40%, some ridiculously high percent of every middle-aged man in America is on a statin drug, which lowers cholesterol. Yep. Now, I ask you, I can't prove this by research, but is there any coincidence that there is an epidemic of erectile dysfunction at the same time in the same population? We're lowering their cholesterol for God only knows what stupid reasons. Yep. That's the parent molecule for sex hormones, and we have an epidemic of erectile dysfunction. Viagra is one of the top-selling drugs of all time. Is that a, a coincidence? I don't know, yeah. but it, it passes the smell test. Not only is it the parent molecule for sex hormones, it's the parent molecule for vitamin D, another vitamin that most studies show we are not getting anywhere near the optimal level of. Interesting. It's important for memory and for thinking. One of the biggest side effects of statin drugs is memory loss. No accident there. It is involved in the immune system. Yep. I mean, basically, I don't know if you guys ever had those ads over there about the, you know, they say this is your brain on drugs and then they pick, prick the balloon and it goes, Whoosh, you know, and that's your brain, you know, on drugs yeah. and the other one isn't. Well, it's kind of like that with cholesterol. You know, if I had a big balloon and I was in front of an audience, this is your brain on cholesterol, prick it and that's your brain without cholesterol. You basically cease to exist. So this is a very important molecule that has a lot of functions in the body. It does not clog your arteries. It is not the cause of heart disease. It's just easy to bring down with drugs. And so the, the negative effects of statin drugs, is it from the actual drug itself or as a result of the lowering cholesterol levels? Well, it's a very good question. Here's the story. We, we have been, you know, in this black and white world of nutrition and politics. You, you're either on one side or the other. You know, in the United States, you're either uh, Occupy Wall Street or you're the Tea Party. There's like nothing in between. We were very much misquoted as being always anti-statin drugs. We don't think there's any place for it, and we just hate them, and we think they're poison. We never said anything of the kind. What we said is they're being wildly over-prescribed. Right. They have a small, and guys, seriously, it's pretty modest. You can squeeze the data and get statistical significance, but it's pretty darn, in, you know, in, in my opinion, a pretty modest benefit. But there is a modest benefit of statin drugs in middle-aged men with existing heart disease. We call that secondary prevention. In other words, you can't prevent their first heart attack. They already had it. But we can do treatment to prevent a secondary uh, a second event, and that's called secondary prevention. And in that population, middle-aged men with previous heart disease, statin drugs have a modest benefit. Here's what happens, and it happens in every industry in the world, whether you're selling toys, sailboats, or statin drugs. You want to increase your market. That's how you grow. You increase your market. So what the statin drug folks did was they kept dumbing down the, the, the standard for statin drugs, and they kept expanding the population. Now, we have a campaign in the United States to get your child tested for cholesterol because maybe he should be on a statin drug as a preventive starting at age 13. Well, there's a way to increase your, your um, customer base by, you know, double-digit percentages. We put women on statin drugs. We put men who are perfectly healthy on statin drugs. Now, what happens, that's great for the statin drug makers, and if the— 
if it was a harmless drug with no potential for side effects, eh, not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Good marketing, probably yeah. not necessary. But here's the thing. There are side effects. Do they happen to everyone? No. But the bigger the number of people you give them to, the more side effects you're going to see. And some of those side effects are damn serious. Loss of sexual function, loss of libido, loss of memory, joint pain, muscle pain. I mean, there have been some horrific side effect stories on statin drugs, and they've been documented. Yeah. Now, does it happen to everyone? No. Is this poison? No. But before you start giving it to populations in which no real benefit has been shown, let's think about the number of side effects you're going to cause in a population that's not even going to benefit from them. So that's not really saying they are never good in any population they should be banned. Yeah. It's saying stop giving them out like candy to people who don't even benefit from them and may very well be hurt by them. So who are the people in the population who statin drugs are definitely not for? Women, especially at the elderly, people yeah. over 75. And I play tennis with some guys like that, by the way, and they're all on statin drugs and they have no business on statin drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, Middle-aged men or men of any age who, are, who do not have a lot of risk factors for heart disease or, or do not have existing heart disease. Certainly children. Yeah. I believe putting children on statin drugs is the next thalidomide. I'm not kidding about that. The, the brain does not, the frontal cortex of the brain doesn't come fully online till you're 25. That means your brain is still growing and developing till you're 25. To stop cholesterol production in developing brains that, that need it to develop is tantamount to medical malpractice. Interesting. Okay. Johnny, uh, down at the CHPC, we do uh, run basic bloods. Not that we're you know, trying to be doctors or anything like that, but just, just the basic round of blood markers. And, and cholesterol is one of the ones that we, we do ask our clients to get. Um, a client comes back in, or, or any individual, any of our listeners, and they do have a, an elevated total cholesterol. It could be the HDL that's, that's high. Um, what sort of uh, scenario are you looking at in, the, in those blood markers that would warrant the use of a, of a statin, if at all? I mean, obviously looking at whether it's female, elderly, and things like that, but, but say they do fall into the, the demographic that, that could use the statin, is a high slightly above the normal standards uh, in total cholesterol? Is that a reason to go on statins? Well, well here's, here's my thinking about those tests. Number one, the total cholesterol test is 100% percent useless so let's get that one out of the just throw that one out okay yep. the one that looks at HDL and LDL is not completely useless but it's obsolete it would be like using a Sony Walkman in the day of mp3 players okay the the H we now know at the time that that scientists started paying attention to the fact that cholesterol travels in the body in two different systems, if you will, two different carriers, one being a high-density lipoprotein, HDL, one being LDL. They started paying attention to that, and they started seeing the functions were a little bit different. They kind of nicknamed HDL good cholesterol yeah. and LDL bad cholesterol, and that was an improvement over total cholesterol. Now right. we knew, you know, it wasn't all the same. Well, that's ancient information we now know that there are four or five kinds of hdl and four or five kinds of ldl they are all quite different not all quite different but there are considerable differences among them and they don't divide so evenly as as good and bad let's look at ldl for example there's ldl a and ldl b a looks like a cotton ball and it does just about as much damage as i could do to you by throwing a cotton ball at you <laughs> ldl b think bb gun pellet 
is a nasty little bugger, nasty little angry inflamed molecule, and it can cause all kinds of irritation and inflammation. You don't want your LDL-B to be high, but you don't care that much about your LDL-A. But a test that does not look at those sub-fractions, in other words, HDL2, HDL2A, HDL2B, LDLA, LDLB, one that doesn't do that and just looks at good and bad is grossly out of date. It's just an obsolete, you know, why would you look at that when you've got so much more information that's actually useful? Mm. So here's a good example of why that matters. Let's say I eat a lot of saturated fat. Well, that does raise your cholesterol. Now, I'm, you know, we argue that so what? It doesn't cause heart disease and it's not even, you know, we're looking up, barking up the wrong tree, so it raises your cholesterol, big deal. But if you look under the lid, the way I'm suggesting, what you find is it raises HDL cholesterol, which is, which is mostly good. It lowers LDL-B, the BB gun pellets that are really bad, and it raises LDL-A, the cotton balls. So your total number might go up and your idiot doctor who hasn't read any of this research for the last 15 years will say, oh, his total cholesterol is up. Let's get him a statin drug instead of looking under the, the, the hood and seeing that your blood lipid profile actually just improved. And so if you were in a scenario where the doctor was going to just based off a standard cholesterol level prescribe a statin drug, would you then ask for the cholesterol particle test or, or how would you go about finding out exactly what those LDL A and B, what those numbers were? I, I honestly, you know, I, I don't like to tell people to walk out of the, you know, to, to, to revolt against their doctors. There's some wonderful doctors and some yeah, of them are correct. very caring and spend some time with you and bother to learn about this stuff. And, and yeah. some perform medicine by the books and paint by numbers. Yeah. And I, I'm not a fan of those. But what I would say is if you get a prescription for a statin drug, uh, and you don't think you're a candidate for one, push back a little. Ask for a little more information. If he's basing it on the old-fashioned test, ask for the particle test. Ask how many, uh, how many LDL particles, how many particles you have. That number is very predictive of cardiovascular risk. Look for the number of particles. Look for the density or size of the particles. Um, for God's sake, look at your triglycerides and your triglyceride to HDL ratio, which predicts risk as well as any of this stuff. And you can get that right from your standard blood test. Just take your triglycerides, take your HDL, and divide the bigger number, triglycerides, by the smaller number. And the smaller that ratio is, the less risk you have. In other words, your triglycerides are 100, your HDL is 50, you've got a ratio of 2. 50 into 100 is 2. Yeah. You ain't getting a heart attack. So let's take another step back then, I guess, Johnny. If uh, you know dietary fat doesn't necessarily clog the arteries like we've always been told it does, what is, what's the mechanism of action that does cause this high level of heart disease that we experience in our community and society these days? Well, I think that the, you know, I think that there's a number of things that, that can cause heart disease or promote heart disease. There isn't a gene for it or a single cause, mm. but I think that it's pretty hard to ignore one thing as kind of at the scene of the crime, promoting it, making it worse in some scenarios, causing it outright, and certainly being a major component, not only of heart disease, by the way, but of diabetes, of cancer, of Alzheimer's, and of obesity, and that single, if I had to point the finger at one single culprit, it would be inflammation. Right. Can you explain the role of inflammation and the relationship between inflammation and cholesterol? My understanding is that cholesterol is used to douse inflammation and that's why cholesterol levels can, can read high, not necessarily because of what you're eating, but because of the inflammation in your body. 
Well, what you're talking about, I think, is the theory that, you know, blaming cholesterol for heart disease is like blaming the firemen for the fire. I mean, the firemen show up at the fire. You always see them there, but they didn't cause the fire. Mm. Yes. And I think the same can be said here. What happens is you get inflammation. Inflammation is a hard thing to explain in a couple of words, but basically, let me give it a shot. <laughs> everybody, inflammation comes in two different flavors. We call them acute and chronic. Yeah. Now, everybody listening to this, you guys are trainers, you spend time in the gym. Everybody knows what acute inflammation is. You got a knee injury. Yeah. You've got a back that, that aches. You've got an, a, a splinter. You've got, you know, a, an abscess in your tooth. You've got an eruption on your face. Mm. Everybody knows that's inflammation. That's what we call acute inflammation, and it's a pain in the butt, but it doesn't kill you. Yep. Chronic inflammation is what we are talking about here when we're talking about heart disease, and chronic inflammation flies under the pain radar. Fl chronic inflammation is like blood, high blood pressure. It doesn't have a symptom. But what happens is slowly but surely, let's say the vascular wall, since we're talking about heart disease, become irritated and little pockets of inflammation develop, much like they would on the skin, only you don't see them on the vascular wall. And there are these little injuries and then debris starts to get in there. Some cholesterol comes to patch it up. Those little inflamed um, uh, oxidized molecules of LDLB that I mentioned, they get in there, bacteria gets in there. And all of a sudden you've got some plaque and if that plaque becomes unstable and breaks off, you get a heart attack. And, and when they go and look at the plaque, sure, they see some cholesterol in there, but cholesterol is not jogging up your arteries. If there was no inflammation in the arteries and there was no oxidation of the cholesterol, it would float past perfectly. There would be no problem. So it really starts with the injury to the vascular wall, these little micro tears and injuries. When they happen in the gut, we have something called leaky gut. Maybe yep. you guys have talked about that. Yeah, when yes. it happens in the vascular walls, we have inflammation of the arteries, of, of the endothelial, which is the, the lining of the artery walls. And then you have something called endothelial endothelial dysfunction, which basically means your arteries ain't working right. And when they're not working right, they're not putting out the right kind of little molecules like nitric oxide, which is so healing. And, and basically the whole system just falls apart because all of these things have very specific functions. And when there's injury and inflammation along the way, it's kind of like, you know, having a little roadblock. And, and the road doesn't travel very well or very smoothly. And that can be the beginning of plaque. So... What causes? What are the factors that cause the inflammation in the first place? Well, Let's say the main, oh some main God, factors, diet, not, dietary get out, factors. Get out your Wikipedia, right. <laughs> because yeah. it's a list of every toxin that we're exposed to: medicines, foreign substances, pesticides, stress, the yeah. air we breathe, the water we drink, yeah. uh, uh, the, the chemicals in the foods. Uh, all of these things are kind of seen as invaders to the body, and, they, and the body mounts a little bit of an attack on them, and that's what yeah. the, keeps the liver working overtime. But sometimes these things actually cause a little bit of irritations. It's like thinking of, 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 you know, if you kept throwing crap down the pipes in your sink, you know, eventually there'd be some erosion there. So all of these things can contribute to inflammation. Stress contributes to inflammation. Certainly, sugar com contributes to inflammation way more than fat. There, there may be some studies that show a minor little drop uh, increase in inflammation with certain fatty acids. Sometimes it's minor. But the, you want to talk about serious inflammatory damage, you talk about sugar. Uh, uh, all right, Johnny. So obviously there's, there's a ton of um, things in working against us in our environment causing the inflammation in the body. Sugar is obviously one that we can control. What about a, a plan of attack? 
in, in essence to fight cholesterol but obviously through the point of view of lowering inflammation uh, I mean and a simple thing like antioxidants comments on Q10 like uh, vitamin C uh, multivitamins I mean what sort of uh, insurance well, we put, policy we put, our, we put our recommended supplement program in the book The Great Cholesterol Myth by my, myself and Dr. Sinatra yep. we put all the ones that we like and recommend and particularly there is some if you're on a statin medication currently that you should definitely be taking yeah. Um, and we put together what we think is the best kind of heart healthy preventive supplement regimen that we could come up with and we put it in the book um, as far as other strategies I mean lowering stress is a big one yeah uh, re reducing sugar in the diet significantly is a big one exercise is a big one these are yeah. all things that really do keep not only the heart healthy but the brain healthy and yeah. and just about every other metric that you care about um, in, in a good range so it's, it's really a multi-pronged program. You want to reduce inflammation by an anti-inflammatory diet, which is usually heavy in vegetables and fruits because they have so many anti-inflammatories. That does not mean it has to be low in protein and fat. It just means you need to stock up on the vegetables along yeah. with the protein and fat. Yeah. Um, it means a lot of fish oil, which is possibly yeah. the most anti-inflammatory, the omega-3s from fish oil, most anti-inflammatory molecule in the world. So you want to load up on that. Yep. Um, you know, anti-inflammatories like quercetin that's found in apples and onions and, you know, lots of things that are in the vegetable kingdom. Yeah. Um, antioxidants, because here, here's another little tidbit. The cholesterol we were talking about that gets stuck in there and gets inflamed and oxidized and contributes to the, the uh, detritus that's in the little inflamed pockets we talked about. The nasty LDLB. only becomes a problem when it's oxidized. Yeah. Non-oxidized cholesterol ain't a problem. <laughs> so you want to prevent, people keep attacking the cholesterol. How about attacking the oxidation? So yeah. antioxidants like the ones you mentioned, zinc, selenium, uh, yeah. uh, NAC, um, uh, coenzyme Q10, um, yeah. vitamin E, vitamin C, all of these antioxidants in food and supplements, very important. Yeah. I consider them part of a, a, a heart healthy or heart, heart disease prevention, pro, a prudent prevention program. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned the omega-3s there, and we certainly uh, use those down with our clients at uh, Clean Health, and a lot of people too, obviously, uh, take the omega-3 supplements. Um, you know, if, one thing I've mentioned, uh, we actually looked at omega-3 or essential fatty acids and, and spoke about uh, omega-6 and omega-3. The ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, obviously that's uh, an unbalanced ratio with too much omega-6, although it's an essential fatty acid, uh, is cause of inflammation as well, and we talk about that ratio. Is that something that to consider as well and, and um, you know, making sure you, you do have that, that more balanced ratio of omega-3 to omega-6? Well, when we were writing the great cholesterol myth, uh, we uh, we were um, we delved deeply into the research on this. There's quite a bit. There's a, there's an entire publication. Uh, wait a minute. I'll even read. I'll read you the title. Hold on. <laughs> there's actually an entire research book from the World Review of Nutrition and Dietetics. It's volume 100 called "A Balanced Omega-6 to Omega-3 Fatty Acid Ratio." cholesterol and coronary heart disease. So there's a lot of research on this subject yeah. of the correct balance between omega-6s and omega-3s. Now, omega-6s, which, you know, the, the basic omega-6s is, is an essential fat. That means the body can't make it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we really need both omega-6 and omega-3, but here's the deal. These are building blocks for compounds in our body. Omega-6s are building blocks for inflammatory compounds, and omega-3s are building blocks for anti-inflammatory compounds. Now, people say, well, what do I need the one, what do I need inflammatory compounds from? I want as little of those as possible, right? Well, when you think about how your body heals from an injury, yeah. 
you, you better have some inflammation. Right. Yep. What do you think a fever is? What do you think happens when you get a splinter and the area swells up and white blood cells are going around there surrounding the puncture wound trying to prevent a microbe from getting a hold and starting an infection? Yeah. You need some inflammation. Yep. But you need that inflammatory army to be balanced with your anti-inflammatory army. In other words, you got two armies, dude, in there, <laughs> and you need them to both have the same number of weapons. And what yep. happens is when we consume 16 times more omega-6 than omega-3, we are funding that inflammatory army. We got, we're right. giving them special forces equipment, <laughs> and we're taking the omega-3, the, the anti-inflammatory army, and giving them slingshots. Yeah, they yeah. got the so nuclear bomb there, omega-6. is very, very important. Yes. So, Johnny, with sugar and the role that that plays in all of this, from a, a training perspective, if you have an individual who's perhaps doing a high amount of training volume and for that phase of training their carbohydrate intake is a lot higher than what it might be and you know that they might finish training in that post-workout shake have a couple of dollops of maple syrup or, or straight glucose powder or something like that if the client was to chase hypertrophy if they're lean enough and they're insulin sensitive and their training volume warrants that volume of carbohydrates does, does that pose a health risk or, or not is that... in not in that population but i'm going to tell you that my my thinking on this is beginning to switch and i'll tell you why okay um at that conference that i just uh, mentioned the american college of nutrition conference that we just went to i think i just mentioned that a little yep. while ago uh there was some there was uh, quite a bit of talk and lectures uh, about ketogenic diets and particularly about ketogenic diets for athletes. Now, if people don't know what ketogenic diets are, they're extremely high fat, low carb diets when your body goes into something called nutritional ketosis. It's like what stage one of Atkins used to be. So it's generally been believed, it's been the mythology for 30, 40 years that people have to carb load and that, you know, an endurance athlete, especially, has got to load up on pasta the night before. Well, <laughs> Uh, the, the professor who presented on this did a very remarkable thing. He brought along two people from one of his current studies. They were two world-class athletes. One of the guys was a special forces guy from Iraq who, you know, now did like ultra uh, triathlons. And I mean, he was in the best shape you couldn't even believe and lean and tall, not a pound of body fat. The other guy was a world record holder in the ultra marathon. We're talking 100 mile, six day races. Mm -hmm. And he, when he was talking about his training, he was so casually, he would throw it. Well, it was a week, it was a light week for me. So I just did my 50 mile warm up run. I mean, it was, <laughs> for now, like you can't even believe, right? Uh -huh. These guys are on exclusively high fat diets all the time. And they talked about their training, about their recovery being quicker, about their injuries being reduced, about less aches and pains, about more energy. They, they the carb load, they do not carb load. So now I think that we're going to probably see a bit of a controversy about all this because clearly some of these low fat, these extremely high fat, uh, low carb diets are being used in high performance athletes. So I, I think we're going to start to see some questioning of the old um, belief that we have, you know, we need these carbs for energy and we need to carb load before an event. Yeah, I've, I've uh, I actually did some um, going into a ketogenic state, uh, measuring the hydroxybutyrate in the blood and the ketones in my urine. And uh, I found it, uh, it was quite, quite tricky to go into a, a ketogenic state. It really is, um, 
you got to be very disciplined even with your uh, vegetables and, and eating too much like it is very low to moderate protein and a, and a huge amount of fat and if I did that for me personally I did go into that state of ketosis but I've got to say the performance in the gym and, and, and training and stuff it, it didn't deteriorate like I was still as strong as I was when I eat carbohydrates so yeah I mean firsthand I've, I've experienced that and obviously the fat loss that was associated with it was quite significant as well yeah and and again i'm not i'm not saying i don't i don't know that all the evidence is in i believe in metabolic individuality biochemical individuality so i'm not saying that this is the perfect diet for every athlete but i I think we will begin to see some different differing approaches to performance athletics and to to you know the gym in general as far as diets go and i think we're going to see uh high fat diets certainly take their place alongside the conventional carb loading uh, approach to to building strength and, and performance hmm, definitely and so johnny just in conclusion for the average yeah. punter out there what would be some of the fats that you would recommend that they include in their in their nutrition well i i um first of all let me say this about saturated fats because i'm a, a you know obviously i think it should be obvious by now yeah. that i am no i have no fear of saturated fat i eat plenty of it but the caveat with that is that all animals and plants i guess too store toxins in their fat that's where we sequester our toxins yeah so if you are eating crappy feedlot farmed factory farm you don't have that much in australia i think there's uh-huh. a mostly grass-fed there but yeah. we get our meat from you know tyson and from these huge conglomerates and they are just they are factory farmed like they you know on unspeakable conditions and they are mm. fed antibiotics and steroids and hormones and a high grain diet which is not their natural diet which makes the stomach acid uh and and inflames them more and they consume all the pesticides and fungicides and herbicides that are sprayed on the crops that they eat so the the fat in factory farmed animals is a toxic waste dump it has nothing to do with it being saturated it has to do with the where the how the animals were raised and what's in their fat yes so if you are eating grass-fed meat and free-range chickens and wild and stuff like that where really they're eating pasture pastured pork and 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 pasture raised uh bison and 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 cows and 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 then you have nothing to fear from saturated fat and you can eat as much of it as you want as far as i'm concerned the what you have to fear is toxic fat and i'm not even so sure that plant fat which is vegetable fat is all that untoxic now either in this era of gmo foods yes. and and uh we're, we're um um Glyphosate, you know, which is Roundup, is sprayed on just about every plant in America, and, you know, half of them are genetically modified, all the corn, all the soy. So I don't even know that, you know, vegetable oils, they're extremely processed vegetable oils are all that clear of toxins either. So my general advice is, first of all, eat clean fat, wherever it comes from. Yeah. And that would be if you're eating vegetable oils, let them be, you know, cold pressed and organic. That way you don't have a, 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 the, the plant version of a toxic waste dump in that oil. And then when you're eating fat from animals, as long as those animals are healthy and were raised humanely, which also means raised, you know, from a health point of view, better for your health, as well as, you know, if you have any heart for animals, you care about it from that point of view. But it's actually selfishly, it's also better for you because the animals are healthier. Their fat is better. They have less of this toxic waste dump stored in their tissues. So if you're getting animals, animal products from those kinds of animals, grass fed butter and and yeah. and raw milk and you know, full fat dairy and, 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 and grass fed beef, 
you can eat. I, I would include all of that in my diet. Yeah. I would include coconut oil in my diet because of the high content of lauric acid and caprylic acid. Those are antimicrobial. They're very good for the immune system. They yeah. they contain MCT fuel, uh, uh, fats, which are a kind of saturated fat that the body likes to use for energy. So it doesn't even store it very effectively. Mm, yep. I would use Malaysian palm oil. I love palm oil. There, there's a high uh, a concentration of tocotrienols in that red palm oil, and that's really good for the brain and even can prevent injury, uh, secondary injury after a stroke. So the, And it, it, even health claims a lot for it now. I like Malaysian palm oil because it is sustainable, and a lot of palm oil isn't, and in Malaysia they really care about that, so I always recommend Malaysian palm oil. But I would get so coconut oil, palm oil, saturated fat from grass-fed beef, extra virgin olive oil, a good omega-9, um, yep. and, and, and there you are, and you can get most of your calories in a day from those fats. And just before you head off, the margarines the, and the trans fats. Oh, I mean, that... gar- Frankenfoods, garbage, throw them out. They have no use. There we yeah. go. There we go. Thank you so much for your time, Johnny. It's been so enlightening and uh, a pleasure to and have you on. Please tell people about my book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. Great it's cholesterol available myth. in Australia. I know that for a fact. So I hope you read it. Definitely. We certainly will. Thank you so much for Thank your time, th- Johnny. Thanks, Johnny. See you, Bye-bye. mate. Bye-bye. Well, what a character he is, Gordon, Johnny Bowden. You could sit here and uh, talk to him all day on a variety of different topics. We'll have to get him back on in the future, mate. Yeah, he's quite a character, yeah. wasn't he? A fascinating chat and... Um, so passionate. I guess a couple of the takeaways from what he had to say there. I mean, one of the fundamentals, I think, looking back on it, mate, if you do have issues with cholesterol and your doctor has said, look, it's high, and he gives you some stuff to bump it down or whatever, then mm. it'd really be in your best interest to actually dig a little deeper talk yeah. to your doctor or find another doctor who's willing to actually go into some more detailed testing mm. have a look at that the subfractions of the LDL and find yeah. out whether it is the the nice big fluffy LDL or, or the yeah, no the, problem those bad boys or the sharp uh, damaging LDL Nasty. Li- lipid particles that'd be yeah. one of the things to sort of have a bit of a look at yeah HDL and the LDL some use but um, but really it doesn't give the full picture I think that's what uh, Johnny was uh, alluding to there and he really it does come back uh total cholesterol being high you really need to dig a bit deeper funny what he was saying about the ketogenic diet for athletes because yeah. i know you've played around with uh Mate. you mentioned that as well that with, with yeah. the ketones it's actually quite difficult to get into a, a state, state of, of ketosis yeah i mean for me it was uh you, you know me for a while if if a little bit's good then a lot must be better yeah so what the hell intermittent fasting and ketosis let's do both those things that yeah sure it's going to be tough but i went through a period there where i was fasting for going into a state of ketosis and using ketones running basically changing from a, a carbohydrate fuel body to a, a fat fuel body and running on ketones um which eventually the, the body will flip over and, and run off ketones but he did point out that uh, there's some good research coming out yeah you so know. we'll keep our eye on that yep and uh, see where that develops so that's that was uh, Johnny Bowden. You can get his book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. Yeah. I recommend that you do. And he did say he had a, some supplementation recommendations yeah. in there for optimal heart health. And I recommend you get the book and we'll get it as well and have a, a flick through and find that out. But I know some of his big favorites in terms of uh, heart health. He did mention a few and, and I know having read some of his stuff, he likes the antioxidants. So yeah. CoQ10 plays a big role. Vitamin C would be in there. Yeah. You're also looking, I think he uses carnitine magnesium would be certainly these are all staples the staples the omega-3s yep vitamin e another antioxidant so he's he's quite big on that a few little uh, quirkier ones maybe a little more exotic you've got your pantothene oh yeah pantothene very good for adrenal health curcumin 
which uh, ramps down inflammation. Yeah. And the more research that comes out on curcumin, the better. I mean, it seems to the, be the, the wonder supplement. Yeah. Yeah, so get the book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. Great read. John, Easy read too, I think. Johnny Bowden and uh, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. Oh yes, <laughs> I think Van Dam had me for a second there, mate. Oh, it was. Oh, there's roundhouse the, kicking someone. I think. Oh, the leading lady in the hay bales. Oh, luring her into the hay bales. Oh, the show's finishing convenient. right at the right time. Mm. Righto, mate. Well, look, that's been the program. Overtraining. If you've come to a bit of a plateau with your strength or hypertrophy, uh, maybe you need to look into some planned overreaching. Yeah, deliberate uh, planned uh, overtraining or overreaching definitely can be used. Uh, to great effect. I will also point out quickly, Tom, you know, you may just be overtrained anyway. You know, if, if yeah. you notice all those things and you have plateaued out, the joints are sore, you know, you're looking a bit inflamed, then uh, maybe it's time for that deload, you know, back off the intensity, fuel up, uh, and you'll find that you'll uh, rebound it out of that hole that you put yourself in. Uh, maybe some time for some glutamine as well. That could be yeah. the, the missing supplement in your, uh, Very your good little segue stack of there, goodies. Tom. So get that one in, 10 to 20 grams post-workout, yep. up to 80 grams for a day if you're doing Spread throughout the day. some sort of gut rebuild. Be careful if, you, if you're feeling nauseous, it's probably the glutamine. Yep. A program of the week was the Frank Zane Method. We'll put that up on the website, an adaptation of the yep. Frank Zane Method, training the same body part three days in a row to bring it up. Yep. That's pretty much us. That was us. Thank you for listening, and we'll be with you again next week under we the bar. Will.